Good afternoon, and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. Lutherans recognize two kingdoms, the left-hand kingdom of the world and the right-hand kingdom of the spirit. We live in both kingdoms and both are ordained by God. Part of the left-hand kingdom is defined by the fourth commandment. We recognize secular government's authority. Part of that authority was recently outlined by the President's State of the Union Address. What does this mean to Christians who live in both kingdoms? Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty Executive Director, the Reverend Dr. Greg Sills, shares his views on free to be faithful. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Greg Sells, who is the Executive Director for the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the program, Greg. Oh, it's great to be with you again. Well, tell me a little bit about the Lutheran Center, what it is that you're doing in D.C. Well, the Lutheran Center is uh, the LTMS footprint in D.C. Um, again, we're here for the protection of the Church and its ministries, its public space. But we're also here, uh, we're here to be a, a voice, an advocating voice for our Church, an encouraging voice to those who are on the Hill. And then the biggest thing will be that we're going to start to be an educating um, uh, voice for the sake of our churches, our schools, and our universities. And, and so we're trying to accomplish all that to protect our churches' uh, right to be a public voice of the gospel in the culture in which we live. Well, Greg, I specifically invited you to uh, Free to Be Faithful because I saw a video that you did that's posted on your on your Facebook page uh, pertaining to the State of the Union address. Now, we've seen analyses left and right over what this means politically and nuts and bolts, but you took a different tact. You said, what do we what what is the Christian approach to it? What is the Lutheran? approach to it? How should we view the State of the Union? What should we expect? How does it actually impact us as individuals? Could you go into that? Yeah, you know, one of the things I try to say to people, I said, you know, we have some core principles, and we do judge our politicians by the principles we think they should abide by for the sake of government. But one of the first things that Lutherans uh, see about government is, is that we don't expect that politics is going to save us. We have a kind of a limited view of what government can do, and I think our founding fathers did, too. I think that's what made them geniuses. They actually bound the government, and they freed individual Christian people and individual religious people to live out their lives and solve the big problems of their life. So we Lutherans come to things like the State of the Union, a, a bit of a different expectation of what we hope the president and the Congress will do. We're not looking for them to solve all of our problems. But we do have expectations of what they should do, and we want to uh, listen and see if they're actually uh, seeking to do that. So our first thing is, okay, let's make sure that the government's doing what it's supposed to do. And so we listen with those ears. And, and to that degree, you know, I think we, we, we come with a little bit more of a sobering idea of, of what our expectations would be. Well, one thing, Greg, that we Lutherans uh, have that I think a lot of other uh, religions don't is the two-kingdom concept, where there's right. the, the, uh, we have the kingdom of the earth, of the temporal, of the, of the world around us, of which we are citizens, but we are also citizens of the right-hand kingdom, which is the kingdom of the church and the kingdom of God and the Spirit. We have followed them both, but what happens when the left-hand kingdom is in violation of the right-hand kingdom? What do we do? And I think perhaps this was well, something that was a, that was addressed. 
Yeah, and I think that's what, uh, as I said before, I mean, that's why we have such different expectations of what you were talking about the left-hand kingdom. God is at work in the world. That's the first thing we Lutherans say. No, we know God is at work in the world. He works in the world two different ways. And that's where we're a little bit different, well, a lot different than even most Christian, even most Orthodox Christian denominations. We believe he works through the law. He works through vocations in the left-hand kingdom to preserve a sinful world. So think about that. God even uses sinful people to preserve a sinful world. He's even using non-believers to preserve the sinful world. Because, you know, all hell can break loose. It can get worse than what it is today. But we never expect the God's work in the left-hand kingdom to save us. So whenever we engage in left-hand kingdom stuff, we have, a, we have tempered expectations. How can we be a part of God's left-hand kingdom work to preserve this world and make sure it doesn't get worse than it is? And why? Because... God has actually proclaimed the salvation of the world through his right-hand kingdom, through the grace alone that comes through faith in Jesus and in Jesus' work. We, we call that dynamic differentiation. We get involved in both kingdoms, but we differentiate our work in those kingdoms. Why? Because God works two different ways. And I think that's, again, why we come with a different expectation. Our leaders, we, we pray for them, we hold them in high esteem, but we have uh, limited expectations uh, for what they're supposed to do for us in our life. Well, another thing uh, where we have uh, a view of the left-hand kingdom uh, is the definition of the fourth commandment, where we right. where we recognize that it has authority over us. Right, and so just to give an example how we would apply what I, what I was just talking about. So we believe God is at work in the world through the vocations that he's created in the world. The two most significant vocations are fathers and mothers, family. God actually keeps the world ordered, safe, in community with each other by through strong families. And he, he expects all people, whether they're Christian or not, to strive to have strong families and to raise their children well and all these different kinds of things. And so the fourth commandment demonstrates for us how authority really is supposed to work in the world. The father and mother are the ultimate authorities of the family, and government is a derived authority from the Bible's point of view. So and just like when we get involved in things like education, we get involved in things like government, the, the family, the father and the mother have authority over the children first, not the, the bureaucrats, not the educational system, not the government. And our, our culture has been founded on that notion, too, which has granted tremendous freedom to, to our culture in, place, in ways that other cultures do not have. So, again, you start to think about the wisdom of our founding fathers who took the outward expression of the Fourth Commandment. They took it seriously. And uh, look how it has blessed us over the years. Now, that's under attack today. And, and that view of authority is under attack in a lot of different ways. We're here to kind of restore that balance. Well, what do we view as the actual role of the left-hand kingdom? Well, again, like I said, it's God's work to preserve the world. So there are fundamental things that, you know, like we, we're, we're not here to, to politicize the gospel. We're not here to get more political. That's not why these... Lutheran centers in D.C. But we are here to hold our left-hand kingdom leaders to a, a basic fundamental account of what we think they're supposed to be doing. So, like right now, I think our biggest issues are religious liberty, which is for everybody, by the way, not just for us, sanctity of life, which is for everybody. And if the, if the government starts to actually violate the sanctity of life, which we're starting to see in some of these crazy states that are actually trying to legalize infanticide, they're trying to make doctors actually uh, purveyors, not of health and wellness, but not to be, you know, can you imagine going to your doctor and your doctor advises you to kill yourself? 
That's happening in some countries around the world because euthanasia is even becoming uh, a, a standard in some countries. Well, this our country never would have co-opted uh, people to do it. So there are fundamental issues like religious liberty, sanctity of life, the, the fundamental relationship we call marriage, the institution of marriage, and then educational freedom. If we expect the government to protect those things for all of them, when they start violating those, when they start co-opting those, then we, as Americans, would have a way of pushing back on that, saying, no, you're, you're, you're stepping out of bounds. Like you said, the left-hand kingdom is now starting to do the right-hand kingdom's work. And so we're just saying, you know, this is not your sphere. Constitutionally, you're out of bounds. And we don't argue biblically. We argue here that their constitution is out of bounds, and we expect them to actually honor that covenant that we have or that contract we have. So, again, those are fundamentals. that we You lose those. You, you kind of lose your culture. And we're saying we're, we're fighting for those things for the sake of the culture as well as for the sake of the Church's voice in the culture. Well, I look, uh, what's happening now that, uh, that I, I observe, and perhaps uh, you do as well, is that now government is getting more and more involved in a secular definition of morality. I mean, we can look at uh, marriage, right. for example. Abortion, certainly. Oh, yeah. no, this is uh, for the woman's health, huh? Or, uh, yeah, yeah the, the marriage between the same-sex couples, and you have to recognize this, and you have to celebrate it, and you have to celebrate trans, uh, tr- uh, transsexuals. No. I mean, this, <laughs> this strikes... Well, and see, that, that, that's what I'm saying. They're, one, the, one side of the equation now is, is politicizing and even criminalizing our differences. That's what's new and unique. You know, people always talk about how the church is not supposed to impose its morality uh, on the culture. I, I kind of find that funny because all law is moral. Uh, there's no such thing as a amoral law. But the reality is the church has every right to talk about uh, the moral, uh, the, the civil way we should live together, and, and we have a right to engage in that. Well, the other side is, is making our viewpoints on these things illegal, uh, even though there's uh, tons of evidence psychologically, sociologically, historically, that these viewpoints have actually been very beneficial. The Church's viewpoint has been very beneficial to the culture. So again, my point is I, I get what the debate is, but you're exactly right. One side is now is now um, criminalizing and politicizing virtually everything. And again, our founding fathers would have said, that's the state uh, misusing its role in our lives. We're supposed to have a much more limited role. We were supposed to be able to freely associate with one another in varieties of ways. And we were supposed to actually be able to educate ourselves freely, too, so that we weren't, you know, a, a worldview wasn't crammed down our throat, like you, like you just mentioned. Uh, there's a book out right now called Get Out Now, uh, about public education, where it, it's, it's basically teaching a worldview that's secular, mechanistic, naturalistic, scientistic, and our, our children, even if they have ways of combating that, are not allowed to challenge it. And, and so, again, these are things we have to push back on for the sake of our children and our culture. How do we push back? Well, again, you, you establish a place like the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in D.C. There's no doubt that now we're joining the voices and we're just saying, put the government needs to be back in the proper sphere of its, if its influence. Uh, and then the other thing is, start to, uh, you know, I think our schools, we're having a big meeting here on Monday. Uh, we're going to talk about education, education's role in, 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 uh, in civics and civilizing a culture. Uh, we need to start to find ways to bring our educational uh, system, our grade schools, our preschools, our high schools, back to 
urban areas, back to metropolitan areas where, you know, these ideas uh, are kind of one-sided and we need to engage it through our schools. And, and we need to actually say, hey, there's another voice out here for the sake of the culture. And if you want to know why we want to come back, it's because we're motivated by the gospel. So I, I think there are ways we can start to take some of our blessings and, and again, refocus them in, in the 21st century as to how we can be public Christians for the sake of the people we love and serve. Well, for example, you've uh, obviously with the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty, like, but right here in St. Louis, in the wake of the uh, horrendous uh, Ferguson riots, uh, right. there, there was the establishment of the Hope Center, which the LCMS was very heavily involved in, where we went right, right smack in the middle of this thing and set up a with with some other groups and set up this uh, this program and this building, saying, "Look, there's a better way. Let us teach you. Let us let us help you." Or let's be here to serve you. You know, the funny thing about that, the, the Hope Center and some of those issues, too, I'm, I'm now working with uh, some people in the government, too, and they're talking about these economic zones, these, these uh, zones that they're creating around the country to empower neighborhoods. And again, even like parental choice and some of these movements that I think are, are on the rise, what they're saying is let's bring more voices to the table and let's not exclude the Christian voice. My goodness, the Christian voice has been a powerful blessing in this culture. Let's let's make sure that everybody's at the table, and then let's compete and try to outserve one another and care for the neighborhoods we're in. And I think what I'm finding out is we just have been trying to go it alone uh, in some of these ways too long, and it's a lot harder to do a lot of this stuff by yourself. If, if some of these opportunities open themselves up, and, and places like Ferguson, where our Hope Center is, and we find out that the government will actually uh, give us a fair shot to, to be a 501c3 in the neighborhood for the sake of the neighborhood, just like other 501c3s. Well, let's, let's, let's send even more people into some of these areas. Let's send our schools into these areas. Let's send these kinds of things. And I said a lot of times we've been out of step just because we didn't know that that stuff existed. And I would like to empower our efforts to that end because I think our voice is a voice that seeks to bless and to serve. Greg, is this perhaps uh, an example of how the Fourth Commandment works? And we talked about it earlier being, you know, like the government ahead of us. But, you know, bringing it down to the local level uh, where right. we've got our communities, we've got our municipal leaders, we've got community leaders, we've got our schools, we've got school boards, things like that. Again, is this a reflection of the Fourth Commandment? Well, like I said before, what you've got to do with the Fourth Commandment is give their parents, children as the fundamental authority is the ultimate bring it down to the community level, right? I just heard it was really interesting. I was talking to somebody about abortion, and this one gal was fired from her job in 1978 because she would not uh, bring a child to an abortion clinic from the high school, and she said they they need to talk to their parents, and they said, no, this child has autonomy. Uh, We are not going to share any of this with their parents. Now, think about that. They can't give her, her an aspirin without the parents' consent. But even in the late 70s, they could take her to get an abortion without telling her parents. Now, that's lunacy. And so there's a sense where, again, we start talking about, let's, let's put the authority back where it belongs, in the parents, in the neighborhoods, and in the communities, and then let's let those folks learn how to work together, because a federal solution to this stuff usually is like a, a, a hammer that, that does more damage good. So again, you know, I, I'm like you. This is biblical wisdom, but it's also sociological wisdom it's historical wisdom. We've seen why local authority is always the best thing, and our founding fathers understood that, too. 
Well, we also saw historically, you know, schools really have been handled uh, largely through religious organizations. We just finished up uh, Lutheran School Week here, as I'm sure you're aware. And uh, we, of course, have many Lutheran schools throughout the country. Uh, Just next door to us here at the International Center is Viati High School, which is Catholic. And this, they're turning out some, some really quality education in these schools. And the kids, the ones that I have met, are just absolutely incredible. And again, there's this... Uh, the idea being that this group is responsible for the, the, the values, if you will, uh, and rel- relatively free of the dictums from, from Washington. And uh, this, well, I think, is one of the fights, for example, with charter schools. I'm on record as saying the parochial school system is the fundamental school system of this nation and its founding. And, and you know, the Christian worldview undergirds good science. The Christian worldview undergirds good, good sociology, good psychology. They're not antithetical to each other. And so this notion that somehow we've got to secularize our schools for the sake of science and good education, baloney. I think if we free schools up and, and, and we demonstrate that our kids can be uh, you know, movers and shakers and all these other disciplines. But here's something incredible. I was at a meeting where someone stood up and said, here's how we can unify this country. And this was a secular person talking. They said, if we could all just uh, trust that we were, uh, that we're all created in the image of God, we could all gather around that. And I thought, wow, what a powerful thing he said. But then I raised my hand and said, but you know, I, I agree with what you just said, but here's the problem. You can't say that, that we're all made in the image of God in any university today in any science class, in any psychology class, you can't say it in an English class, let alone a theology class. I said, so you tell me, you think that's going to unify the country, then how come we can't teach that in our school? That's a very good point, because you're right, we can't. Uh, so much so much now in education has become, dare I say, anti-education, certainly anti-liberty. Well, and it's, it's fundamental to our founding documents. You, even, you know, Thomas Jefferson, they try to make him out to be a secularist. He was not, if you read his individual writings. Even Thomas, this is fundamental. We're created in the image of God, and we have an inalienable rights, and that the government is bound to actually protect those inalienable rights. But once you're not created in the image of God, all, that, all bets are off. And what, what young people don't understand today is, if you give up the, the, the idea that you're created in the image of God, then liberty goes with it. You can't have liberty and be anti-made in the image of God. So again, that's the challenge that we have in our culture today. And, and I would say, you know, that's why it's worth us getting back into this dialogue for the sake of the culture and for the sake of the church. Well, one thing that we recognize, and I think the founders recognized, was that government is established to protect rights. Government cannot give rights. Right. Well, that's the big debate today. And that's the two visions of government. And again, our founders believe exactly what you said, but there's this notion today that the government grants rights. And I try to explain to kids, the government that, Ronald Reagan said it this way, the government that can give you everything you want is the government that can take away everything you have. And, and so we've always been very suspicious of people who actually are looking for government to provide rights for us. We don't think that. And so again, liberty is based on that way of thinking. We've got to instruct the next generation that that's how you protect liberty and that's how you grow liberty. Well, this uh, 
is a good point to bring up another another th- issue that you mentioned in your video, and that was about the personal State of the Union. What is our State of the Union as individuals and Christians? Expand on that a bit. Well, and that's what I said. I said, you know, when it comes right down to it, if you're watching the State of the Union so that, you know, one person can get up and solve all our problems, then you really you have the wrong expectation for what government's supposed to do in and for your life. So we want our leaders to be faithful to their calling, but their calling is a limited. Uh, the state of the union ultimately is about how we are in our communities with one another. And so, you know, I just said, you know, when it comes right down, don't, politics isn't going to be a savior to us. It can be something that prevents really bad things from happening, but the good stuff that's going to happen is going to have to come from individuals starting to love and to care for their, their families, for their neighborhoods, and for uh, their communities, just because that's who we are meant to be as human beings. So, you know, I said, as you're listening for the State of the Union, look for certain principles that I think we Christians need to undergird. And I heard a lot of them, to be honest with you. But then also, that's not going to be the thing that finally overcomes a lot of the real issues in our neighborhoods. It's going to have to be moms and dads and community leaders and stuff doing these things together uh, in, in spite of federal intervention sometimes. And I think, so that's what I said. I said, be, be thinking about how you can and, and uh, make the State of the Union part of your personal life as you, as you live your life publicly in the name of Christ for others. And I think that's what we're all called to do. And, of course, we can do this within, within our own families and with, uh, with friends. But I think there's also a, uh, an outreach that we as individuals can do as part of our State of the Union to engage people who do not see the Christian way is the way. I think th- there's an opportunity here for us. Well, I do try to talk about There's a missional aspect even of the left-hand kingdom. I know we don't talk about this much, but, you know, you've got to proclaim that, you know, it's, it's God's world. He created it. He's the one who ordered it, not us, even though we don't live up to his ordering either. I mean, we're just like everybody else. We struggle. But we're called to proclaim God's ordering of the world because he's the one who wants to protect it and to save it. And when you do that, and then you find out that there's a brokenness out there. So as you proclaim this ordering, you're also there as a mercy giver, as a forgiven sinner, as one who's been uh, redeemed in the midst of it all, too. So you have a kind of a double whammy. You get to, you know, talk about his ordering, which is a protecting, preserving thing. And then you're always there to really talk about the ultimate thing, which is that God loves you in Jesus Christ alone. So you can't do that privately. You can't, you know, you got to be out there in the mix, in your vocation, open to your neighbors, open to your friends, open even to the guy that knocks on your door, and just be expecting to be useful in God's hands in those places. And our job is to help train you to do that. That's also part of our education. We'll be coming to a church near you uh, to give you some skills and some abilities to actually just be useful in God's hands when the time is right. Well, for example, um, I have uh, a number of uh, gay acquaintances. And I do try to engage with them. Uh, sometimes they're hostile mm-hmm. to me, you know, oh, gee, you must hate us. No, I don't hate you. you know, yeah. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm no better than you. I'm simply repenting yeah. of my sins and I'm forgiven. This is the message that I'm trying to say. No, I don't hate you at all. Why are you hating me? Yeah. I'm bringing to you a, a, a message of redemption. Well, and I think we got to be careful, too, with this whole discussion because there's a sense where our personal friends, you know, uh, I've got folks, you know, in the lifestyle, as they call it, you know, all over the country. And there's there's always going to be, you know, being a friend. What does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to speak the truth and love? There's that. And that's what you were talking about. But then there's also this political thing. 
And the political thing is a whole different thing, where it's actually a a, a group of um, uh, gay leaders who are actually trying to make the biblical worldview illegal. I'm even seeing that in some of the school choice movements, where if you don't sign on to the libertine sexuality of the 60s in all of its forms, you will be excluded from school choice. Well, that's ridiculous. We should have the right. You saw what happened to Vice President Pence's wife because she teaches at a, an Orthodox Christian school. You know, they're trying to make that hate speech, and that's the part that we're saying, oh, please, come on. Yeah, um, yeah that, that scares the heck that, out of me, the concept of hate speech. Right, well, yeah, because it, started, it says that the government can judge your intentions, not your actions. Uh, wow. Um, that, that's usually how uh, tyranny starts. But, you know, for me, again, like I said, even when I'm talking to folks about the gay marriage, I say, all we're asking for is give us the freedom to have our view of what marriage is. And the government should really not take sides on this whatsoever. The only reason the government should actually be involved in the discussion of gay marriage is because a man and a woman can have a child by just going to sleep that night. No one else can do that. Everyone else has to enter into some kind of contract, some kind of third-party thing. Well, if the government won't limit its influence of limiting the rights of a man and woman, then this should get out of the whole business and let us all you know, demonstrate our view of marriage and why we think it's uh, better for the community. See, that's the kind of stuff, even even folks who are homosexual, they go, well, that's fine. You know, you can have your, your religious view of marriage, and you can have your institutional view of marriage. Ours is different than yours. Okay, fine. But then don't enforce, don't don't make me have that same view of, of a relationship. And so, again, we can talk about why that's good, and I can even talk about why uh, I think it's even good for folks who disagree with it. But to politically make our side uh, criminal, that's where we're at today. And I keep trying to tell Christians, it's going to finally support the voice of the gospel, too, if we don't fight back. Well, I think we're seeing it right now, everything from faith-based adoption agencies to there's a, a case right now of a uh, of a, a woman's shelter in Alaska that uh, would not accept a uh, transgender person. And, uh, right. the, and the usual suspects, quote-unquote, are going in and trying to shut down these various agencies. So, yeah, Greg, there, there, there is definitely a problem here, and uh, we have to look at it. And as you pointed out, what is our state of, of our union as individuals? We have to reach out to these people, and yet we have to defend ourselves. Well, and, and not only that, but I think this is probably the harder work. We have to try to demonstrate why our view is good even for those who disagree with us. You know, even the transgender thing in, in uh, Alaska that you're talking about, one of the reasons why we're worried about that is for the sake of the women. The women that go to these cultures are usually women who've been traumatized by men, and so when you let a transgender, who is a man who claims to be a woman, you let that person into, you basically make those women vulnerable again, and you actually, you actually uh, create a psychologically destructive aspect that they're, you know, we're trying to help them, we're trying to help them heal, we're trying to help them be protected. Well, now this person's invited in. And so that's why the, the woman said, we can't let this person in. It's not out of discrimination. It's to protect women. The, the most vulnerable among us, again, are going to get get swept up in a lot of these debates because people aren't thinking through why we did what we did in the first place. Why did we have men's bathrooms and women's bathrooms? Why did we, you know, there was a, uh, a coach who was forced to watch a young girl dress in a men's locker room because she identified as a boy. Well, if that would have happened 20 years ago, you would have fired that coach for actually, uh, you know, doing something that would, would was unbecoming of a male leader in a school. Well, now he's being forced to actually watch her undress in, in view of all these other boys. 
this is the kind of craziness we're inviting into our lives again, where we used to protect the most vulnerable among us. And I think that's something that's going to become more and more difficult as the, uh, the gender dysphoria stuff uh, really becomes a, a legal issue, not just a personal and loving caring issue. Well, we've got our work cut out for us, especially you, Greg, with the Center for Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. I really want to thank you for joining the program and for shedding light on this. And I, I would urge any of our listeners to go to your Facebook page and look at that video that you put up on the State of the Union from a spiritual aspect. It's, it's very, very informative. Yeah, and tell them to go to our webpage, uh, lcrlfreedom.org, and just take a look at all the resources we have there. And, and thanks for having me on, because you know, that's what I said. Strive to serve your family, your friends, your neighbors faithfully. Pray for your leaders, and let that be the real state of the union in the middle of it all. Amen. You've been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.